0: I want to take just a moment to share something that's going on, that happened here yesterday? Heather shared about um, uh, that family that uh, uh, found this community and found in this community a uh, a faith and a support for their marriage. What I like to say and remind us is that when a church is healthy and vital, that not only the people inside get blessed, but people outside get blessed as well. And that happened yesterday. We had here um, a conference that we call Engage. It's for worship leaders. And uh, there were over 70 people in attendance representing 16 different churches from around uh, South Jersey. And our worship artists, uh, led by Marilyn Bills and Steve Hoadley and lots of our uh, volunteer folks, um, offered up this great seminar, breakout sessions, 16 different breakout sessions covering everything from drumming to keyboards to planning a service to uh, becoming more effective as a speaker and uh, and so forth. And people who were attending here, just their written uh, evaluations and just their verbal evaluations were over the top, uh, blessed by the experience, and said, we can't wait till next year. We weren't planning a next year, but <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> um, so again, you know, that's that's a way that this congregation gets to bless others. You know, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. We've been given much in the area of worship. We have great talent, as you guys know, um, uh, people who have a great skill as well as a great heart. And, uh, And so we feel like we have an obligation to help other churches uh, get better. And uh, so that's a cool thing. You know, I know that Jesus said the words, to whom much is given, much is required, because they're in the Bible. This morning, um, as we continue in this series, Five Principles for Community, Um, It's based on on this uh, uh, document that our lead team commissioned and Randy Peterson and I wrote, uh, Five Principles for Community. It's five things that really hold us together as a church, perspectives and priorities that hold us together um, and uh, uh, kind of help define our culture here. And uh, so we started with talking about, um, uh, well, just, I was looking for my glasses, uh, two weeks ago we talked about unity and the, unity matters to Jesus and unity matters to us. Uh, we talked last week about culture and how we um, aren't Defined by the culture, we want to understand the culture, and we want to influence the culture. And now this morning, I want to talk about one of these principles. And in it, we say this, that through Scripture, God still speaks to the world. We believe that through Scripture, God still speaks to the world. So we're talking about the Bible. I want to share some some things about the Bible, with you this morning. It's one of those books, it's it's called by a number of different names. We call it the Bible or the Holy Bible. We call it the Word of God. We call it Scripture. When I was growing up as a kid, the older people, my grandparents' age, some of those folks would call it the good book. They'd refer to it as the good book, you know. Well, in the good book it says, you know, so forth. I like that. I like that. It is a It is a good book. It's a good book because it tells a good story. It tells a story about a good God who has good news for all people. That's the goodness of the good book. The thing about the Bible is it's not really a book. It is a book of books, 66 to be precise. There are 66 books in the Bible. In fact, the word itself, Bible, comes from a Greek word which literally means books. If you wonder why we call it the Bible, it's for that reason. It's the Greek word for books. Holy actually means set apart or separate So the Holy Bible is books that are set apart, that are separate from all other books. It's the good book. It's not a good book. It's not like any other book on the planet. It is the good book. It is the series of books put together that tell a story about a good God who has good news for the world. And so the book is made up of two sections, right? two sections. There is the covenant that God made with Abraham and Jacob and Moses, and it was a promise about a nation that God was going to create from an enslaved people, and that the whole purpose for this nation is to be a light to the world, to draw all people into a relationship with Yahweh. And so this, this covenant, these promises um, are contained, how, how they, people live them out and fail to live them out and so forth is contained in the 39 books of the Hebrew Bible that we call the Old Testament. 39 books, and then there is 27 books in what we call the New Testament or the New Covenant. You see, throughout the Old Covenant, there was a promise, there was a looking forward to a Messiah, a Christ who was going to come, who was going to draw all people to himself, all people to God, and the kingdom of God would prevail forever. And so as the sun was setting, so to speak, on that old covenant, it was rising on a new covenant at the birth of Jesus. And so the New Testament then is the story of this new promise, this new covenant that God made with human beings. It starts with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, four followers of Jesus who recorded for us the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus did. It tells us about his death and his resurrection. And then following that is the book of Acts, which is the story of the birth of the church, and how Christ's followers began to move out into the world after Jesus ascended into heaven, began to move out into the world and tell the world this good news about this new promise of God through Jesus Christ and what that looked like. And and as they told those stories, clusters of believers would come together in villages and in towns and in cities around the world. And as they began to organize themselves, initially they were called the way, because they were walking in the way of Jesus, and then later became known as the ecclesia, the gathering, that we now call the church. The book of Acts tells that story, and it introduces us to a number of characters, one in particular, a man named Saul, who believed that the followers of Jesus were actually heretics, that were corrupting the Jewish faith, and that needed to be stopped, needed to be eradicated, and so he was a central figure in trying to destroy the church, but then had a life-changing encounter with the living Christ and his life did a 180, and his name changed from Saul to Paul, and we read about his story in the book of Acts. So then after the book of Acts, there are a number of what we call epistles, they're letters, many of them written by Paul to the churches about following Christ and what that looks like, but in addition to him, Peter wrote some letters and John wrote some letters, so it's this collection of letters, and then at the end, the book of Revelation where John shares the vision that God gave him of the culmination of all human history, the end of time, where the kingdom of God would come And we would live with him forever. And all of the ravages of sin and death would be forever gone. And the kingdom of God prevailed. The book was written over the course of over a thousand years. By over 40 different authors in three different languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Written in different countries, from different cultures, by people of different backgrounds and, and uh, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, all of these, all of this diversity, and yet this one common epic story. And it has been around for almost 2,000 years. The Bible. The good book. It is the best selling book in human history. And every year it is the top selling book in this country and around the world. It has been translated into uh, 683 different languages, the whole Bible translated into 683 different languages. The New Testament alone translated in an additional 1,500 different languages. It's a fascinating book, and people are fascinated by it. But we have kind of a complex relationship when it comes to the Bible. We're not sure about the Bible a lot, and, uh, but everybody seems to have an opinion about the Bible. So a survey was done uh, by a group uh, that does polling, a group called Barna. Uh, they're a well-known, highly reputable uh, polling company that specifically looks at religious life in America, and they're particularly interested in the uh, Christian faith and uh, and Christianity in our country. And so Barna did an extensive poll of Americans and their um, attitudes toward and engagement with the Bible. And uh, and they recently released their polling. And part of it is they did the whole country, but then they, they localized it so the numbers uh, can be specific to a specific area. And so I found their polling around the Philadelphia area, us. Um, so in their polling, they... They would uh, start by asking, Are you, do you go to church or not go to church? And so the polling is divided between people who go to church and their views on the Bible and people who don't go to church and their views on the Bible. So let me just share a couple of highlights that I found kind of interesting around this. So for people who said they don't go to church, the question was asked, how often do you read the Bible? of people who say they don't go to church, 75% of those people said they read the Bible less than one time a year. I don't know what less than one, I think that's zero, right? But that's how it laid out. Less than one time a year, um, 75% of those folks say they don't read the Bible. You know, that makes sense. Here's one I thought was interesting. 36% of people who don't go to church said they wished they used the Bible more. So I'm not surprised that 64% didn't say that. I am surprised that that a third of people who say, you know, they don't go to church and they don't read the Bible, wish they read it more. I, I'd like to know more about that. When asked why they don't read the Bible, 54%, so the majority, answered in one of two ways. They said either they don't read it because they don't believe its message, one, or two, they find it boring, right? They don't believe its message or they find it boring. Again, I'm kind of curious, if you don't read the Bible at all, how do you not believe its message, but what do you think the message is? So many questions. So then they, church people, what, what did church people say about the Bible, in our area. So again, this is the Philadelphia area. This is people who are our neighbors that live live nearby. 50% of people who go to church say they read the Bible on their own between zero and four times a year. So half of the people who go to church in our area read the Bible zero to four times a year on their own. And I wondered about that, like, I wonder what our numbers would be here at Hope. And uh, not in a judging kind of way, I'm just kind of curious. And and I suspect it's probably not far from that. You know, probably about half of our congregation would say, yeah, you know, I I read it a couple of times a year, maybe on my own. Um, Maybe sometime we'll do a survey. 74% wish they used it more. 74%. So three-quarters of those who who were polled said, I wish I used it more. And this was across, you know, so even people who read the Bible daily were saying, I wish I read it more. So it's not just people who who almost never read it. It's across the board, people wish they read it more. So then when they were asked, why don't they, why don't they read it, 53% answered, in one or two, in one of these two ways. They said either, I don't have time or I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start are the people that I have the most kind of empathy for. You know, like, I get it. You know, like, it's it's a It's a complicated thing. It's a big thing. It's a scary thing. You know, maybe you got one when you were a kid, and so the translation might be weird. You know, you may have a King James Bible. It's like reading Shakespeare, Um, you know, and it's old. Maybe it was passed down to you, and, you know, your view of it is you don't read the thing. You put it on a shelf, you know, and that's where it belongs. I I wouldn't know where to start. So that's part of our passion here at Hope, is we want to help people who don't know how to get started in reading the Bible to be able to read the Bible. And so our small groups are all about that. So in some cases, it's, you know, we'll do a book, not a book of the Bible, but a book, um, but it's drawing from biblical principles. And and pointing you to scriptures, you know, so maybe the topic is dealing with anger or parenting or whatever it might be, but it's drawing from scripture um, to, base its, to base its authority on, its principles on. All right. But we also have Bible studies set up that are designed specifically for folks who are beginners, who may not know how to get started. I lead two of those right now, one on Monday night and one on Thursday night. Um, in, in both cases, it's, it's groups for men, uh, because I find men are particularly difficult uh, to get started on this stuff. One, because men don't read. If it's not the sports section, they don't read it. Um, you know, that's just kind of a male thing. Men tend to read less books than women. Um, and uh, men struggle more with getting into a small group than women do. That's just our experience. So, um, you know, I've got a heart for those guys. And so um, my Monday night group meet in this room right over here in the hub. And uh, the Thursday night group meets in the chapel. And uh, it's guys that that are just beginning. Heather does one for women. Um, So we want to help you figure out how to get started. We have online stuff. There's lots of ways to get started. But the second one is I don't have time. I don't have time. And I get that too. I get that too. You are busy people. You are running in lots of different directions. You have demands on your time from all kinds of sources and so forth. And so, you know, just making time for one more thing, you can't even begin to fit it in. And I get it because I, I, I know folks. I talk to you guys. And I've lived it myself. You know, when, when I was in seminary, I thought, as soon as I'm done with seminary, I'm done with all these studies and so forth, I'm going to have so much time to be able to do all kinds of things. And as soon as I graduated, I had no time. Like It was full as soon as I graduated. When our kids came along, we thought, as soon as the kids are in school all day, whoo man, aren't we going to have time? And you don't. Like, it fills up. Our kids, my kids, are now adults. You would think I have time. I still have no time. I'm talking to people who have retired, and you know what they're saying? I don't know how how I ever had time to work. I'm so busy. It never stops, people. If you're waiting till you have time, it's never going to come. That's the good news, right? Like, are you kidding me? But that's the truth. It really comes down to a question of priorities, right? We make time for the things that are important, that are valuable, that are significant. We all do that. There's rarely times in life where the demands that are on you require every waking moment. There are those times in life, there are those situations, but that's not your whole life. And so we make decisions about the things that we're going to invest in. We believe that through the Bible, God still speaks to the world. God speaks to us through the Bible. So Paul, who I mentioned earlier, had a young protege a young man named Timothy, and he had known Timothy uh, throughout much of Timothy's life. And Timothy, um, he mentored Timothy, and eventually Timothy became a leader of one of those uh, churches that, that got started up, and, uh, and Paul continued to mentor him. And we have in the Bible two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And so, in the second letter that Paul wrote, he was talking about the scriptures to Timothy. So, listen to what Paul wrote. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what's Paul saying uh, here to Timothy? He's saying, look, Timothy, I want you to continue in the stuff that you were taught throughout your whole life through the Scriptures. Now, at this time in history, the Bible as we have it hasn't been formed yet. So there are, there's the Old Covenant, the, the Hebrew Bible— uh, scriptures that, that they're referring to, but also at this point in history, there have been letters written, there have been things written that inform people about the teaching and the life of Jesus. And so that's contained in this as well. And Paul's saying, look, you've learned all of this from people who are wise, who know the scripture, and who have shared it with you your whole life. As I thought about that, I I was thinking, you know, that's a huge thing. Teaching children, if you have children, you want them to know the scripture. You want them to know the Bible because in the Bible, there is significant wisdom, eternal wisdom. There is God's truth in there. We're raising kids, you are raising kids, in a very dangerous time. The challenges that our kids face today are in many ways different than the challenges I faced. And one of the differences is that the stuff that happens out in the world that we send them into follows them into your house. Right? It used to be that once you got in the house, you know, then most of the influences weren't, weren't as prevalent. But now all of that stuff follows them on their devices, on their computers, on their phones. It's constantly following them. Bullying is different now than it was when I was a kid because it follows them in. So we need our kids to know the scriptures. We need them to know who they are as men and women, boys and girls, created in the image of God for a purpose. And that they matter to God for all eternity. You know, we, we need them to know this kind of information. So there's folks back in this back hallway right now who are leading a group of children. Right? They're not just back there babysitting or you know holding them hostage until you know their parents are done. They're investing into these kids, and they're learning lessons that they're going to carry with them through their lifetime. They're supporting what you as parents are trying to teach them. They're heroes back there, and I hope you'll let them know that. Right. Because they're busy people, too. There's other things they could be doing, too. But they're taking a portion of their week in doing some lesson prep and sharing it with with our kids. By the way, this is an opportunity for me to let you know, too, that uh, the one who's been leading that ministry, Chris Graves, uh, has been leading it for 12 years. Um, This is her last Sunday. So she is uh, stepping away from the role after 12 years, We're blessed that she and her family are going to continue to worship here and be a part of the community here. But she just felt like it was time for her to make some changes, uh, both in her personal and professional life and so forth. You can talk to Chris about that if you're interested. Um, But Chris has done a phenomenal job at helping to build a ministry for children back there because it matters. It matters. And uh, so I I just need you to be praying for uh, our children's ministry in this time of transition and as we're visioning about what uh, and where God would lead us next in our children's ministry. But it points back to here, right? It points back to what Paul was writing to Timothy, this stuff that you learned from people who you trust, godly people who shared with you the scriptures, and it's given you wisdom for life. Wisdom for life. Okay. Picking up uh, verse 17. All scripture, I'm sorry, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is saying all Scripture is God-breathed. Another way that's translated is inspired. Scripture is inspired. It has the very life force of God in it. The pages of Scripture have the breath of God, the influence of God, the inspiration of God contained in them. It's a living word with God's inspiration on uh, throughout it, right? So scripture is God-breathed and is useful for all of these purposes. And really, if you kind of boil down what Paul is saying here is, you know, with this correcting and teaching and rebuking and self uh, and, and in uh, all righteousness. He's saying that, that the Bible sets up guardrails for our lives so that we don't steer our lives off into some ditch because we think we have wisdom that we don't really have. And so as we're listening to God's word, as we're investing it in it, as we're following it, it creates some guardrails for our lives so that we're, we don't drive off into a ditch. Or if we do, that God makes a way, shows us a way back out. And that ultimately, the teaching of Scripture is to help us to do good work, to be a blessing to others that our lives will be a blessing to others, to people in our homes uh, and our families, friends, co-workers, wherever we are, that our lives become a blessing to those folks because we're being equipped through our knowledge of Scripture. It's worth the investment of your time. It's worth the investment of your time. Some people say, you know, well, yeah, but the Bible, you know, people have used the Bible for terrible things. They've taught terrible things that they say is in the Bible and and so forth, and that's true. It's sad, but it's true. But the response to that isn't, so I'm going to be ignorant of what it says. The response to that ought to be, I need to know for myself what's in this. So when I hear things that sound like they shouldn't, you know, they, they, they don't come from from God, that I have some knowledge to be able to speak to it, right? As Christians, as Christ followers, we interpret all scripture through the life and teaching of Jesus, right? Jesus is our interpretive tool. So if it doesn't sound like Jesus, if it doesn't, if it's inconsistent with Jesus' teaching, That's a, that's a flag for us to say, wait a minute, we need, to, we need to dig deeper. Anyway, so if you're in Bible study, good for you. Keep it up. It's worth it. If you are not in a Bible study, let me encourage you to get in one. It's great to uh, spend time alone. For me personally, I love to be in the small group setting. I love the conversations. I love the insights. I love the challenge of it, and uh, and I just learn in that way best. <clears throat> but you know, I also spend time uh, in the Word alone. Let me close with with this. Um, four or five years ago. Uh, I started a bible study and and called it a Bible study for guys that don't do Bible study. right said so if you're a guy that doesn't do Bible study, this is the Bible study for you and um invited guys to come and and uh, we had about fifteen guys that showed up, and it was a six week Bible study at the end of the six weeks, we were kind of wrapping up and uh, and one of the guys said... Is that it? Yeah, that was the six weeks. Can we keep going? I don't know. You guys want to keep going? Yeah, we want to keep going. All right, okay. We'll do another six weeks. So we did another six weeks, got to the end of that one. Is that it? Like, you guys are killing me. It's now four years later. Right? Those guys are still in that study. Now, some guys have come and some guys have gone and so forth, but it's that, it's that same group of people. End of last year, one of the guys in that group, who was one of the original guys, came to me and said, you know, this has been so important for me. He said, I, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I had all kinds of opinions about it, but I never actually read it. And it has really been transformational for me. And I want to give that same experience to some other guys. Can I start a Bible study for guys that don't do Bible study? And that's how Monday night got started. So he and I, you know, his name's uh, Bill Willenda. Um And Bill's a busy guy. You know, he's got kids that are active, you know, doing all the sports and all that jazz. Uh, hes He's got a business that he's... Uh, Uh, involved in that takes a lot of his time his wife is a full-time employed person and so they're just as busy as everybody else but but he found something significant in this and made room for it and now he's leading this one on monday i tell you that story to say that that this stuff really matters you know it really matters and you're always going to be busy you're always going to be busy The question is, busy doing what? What's the long-term payback on the things that you're busy doing? We believe that through the Bible, God still speaks to the world. Let's stand for closing prayer. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that it inspires and transforms, challenges us, disturbs us, causes us to think about our world and our lives in new ways, in better ways. And so I pray that we would be listening, as your followers, that we would be listening to your word so that we might make wise decisions in the ways that we live this one life that we get to live. And we'll be giving you the thanks and the praise always and in all ways. Amen. Have a great week.